Welcome. This is episode 21 of Horse Heretics. I'm Neil. I'm William. Here we are in London, Will. The same room. Really disconcerting. Looking we, at each other. We didn't have to do a hand clap to uh, to synchronise our nope. audio, so that's really thrown me right off. <laughs> this whole idea of like talking about this shit in the, in the room <laughs> with a person is uh, difficult for me. Uh, so we'll see. We'll, we'll Making see eye contact with someone mm, as you mm-mm. as you quote. No, I'm I'm looking uh, at my iPad now, at my notes, uh, and this is how it's going to be. Um, so we are going to do this. We don't have a lot of time uh, in order to edit this or anything. So we're just recording this uh, and we will upload it unedited. We'll do it in a one We'll do it live. Yeah. This will be going up directly after we've recorded this. Yeah. So as you listen, know, well, as you listen, if you listen immediately, know that we're probably still in the same sort of surroundings <laughs> as what we were when we recorded this. Well, Tales of Heresy. Yep. So uh, we're there. We're there. We've done it. We've we've finished it now. I have thoughts. Yes. Especially, I really want to get through this first story because I don't care about it. Okay. It's uh, "Call of the Lion" by Gav Thorpe. Now, yep. immediately, massive respect to Gav Thorpe for not calling himself Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going out there as Gav. Well done to the man. Have we had? A, we haven't had a book by him yet. Have we? No. I'm not sure. I don't think so. I'm probably going to have to. Uh, you know, say congratulations to him every time we get one of these stories because <laughs> okay. I'm so impressed with a grown-up being called Gav. Um, so yeah, this I, I've got a quote here from the the first line of this uh, of this story. In a storm of kaleidoscopic violence, reality was torn apart. <laughs> Boom! Stuff like that happens a lot. Reality's under a lot of pressure in these books. It's it, never really whole, is it? It's always <laughs> it's always being torn into shreds, or you know, in some way, kind of uh, ripped up, just uh, twisted in some unimaginable fashion that yeah. can't be described. L- literally unimaginable. <laughs> uh, so uh, the the author hasn't needed to go to the actual uh, work of describing it, so it's fine. Uh, this story starts on a battle barge, the Spear of Truth. It's not a good name. Um, it comes out of the warp um, and is commanded by uh, a dark angel called Astalan. Um, and their whole bit is that they have been sort of patrolling the outer outskirts of the galaxy, looking for signs of humanity's lost past and bringing them into the Imperium. But they're kind of bored because they can't find anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the rest of the fleet tran- translates in, and it, it it's a whole big, what are they called? Like expeditionary force almost of the Dark Angels, um, and Astalan is kind of weary. He's like the, as a character, he's sort of he's really he seems like a, a true believer, but he's bored um, and unhappy because he can't bring the Emperor's light to anybody. Yeah, uh, kind of world weary. Yeah, vibe to him. Um, and then they, but they get like a radio signal uh, out of nowhere, and everyone's sort of slightly giddy that this could be. Well, this is a sign of humanity's like lost past, and they find somebody, and then we meet Bella. Yeah, what's he like? So he's so Astalan is like an old veteran, I guess, of the Dark Angels who had been on the go who since well they'd started on Terra uh, so before they'd found Lionel Johnson 
and uh, Caliban and recruited a bunch of the, the sort of knightly order types from Caliban that we looked at in a previous book uh, to be part of the Dark Angels. So he's that part of the chap, the, the Legion, and um, Belath is, is one of these relatively new recruits who's kind of uh, gone up the ranks pretty quickly and is, I think he's technically on a, the same level as... Yeah, yeah as, they're both chapter one. leaders. Yeah, so uh, so he's kind of these a lot of these guys have been it says have been getting sent out to join fleets. So he thinks he's maybe like I think there to sort of learn from an experienced yeah uh, leader, I guess. But uh, he comes straight in, and um, so I was listening to the audiobook of this, and the reader of the audiobook made it very abundantly clear that Belath was a bad person uh, through the use of this nasal <laughs> screeching well, sort of just whining oh, really? bad okay. guy's voice. Yeah, yeah. I, I maybe would have liked to have heard that. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds good. But there is, like, he literally calls him, like, like a, a Terran, like, something or other. Like, yeah. Uh, so there is this sort of, like, divide, clear divide in the Legion, yeah. which they wouldn't, they don't seem to want to, like, uh, address, really. I just remembered as well, like, even though like, it's pretty obvious that Belath is the sort of hothead guy in this situation, like, <laughs> it's quite funny when they met, like, literally, like, their first meeting, uh, I was like, yeah, Astalan's actually quite rude to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he just goes, like, before they've said anything, he, like, points at something on him and goes, what's that? Yeah, that's right. He he was, like, displaying Calibanite order, like, chivalric order, um, uh, like, shields on his armor and stuff. Um, and, yeah, he, like, no introduction. He just, like, points at it. He goes, what's, what's that on your armor? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so um, they're preparing to, like, deciding what to do whenever this uh, they approach this like planet thing um, and they have one of those like oft repeated conversations about um, you know the old timer Astalan is like well you know we'll talk to them we'll bring them in willingly yeah and uh, Belath is like no no we'll just kill them that's what we're for we're <laughs> yeah. soldiers our job is just to destroy uh, exactly exactly uh, we've heard this conversation before many times um, it's the same conversation it, uh, boring so the planet they're above they've confirmed that there are uh, humans on it um, and it's split up into large sort of continental states all with different power balances so I was like this is interesting at least it's not a unified planetary government yeah. um, but it's maybe not gone into as much as I would like but you know it's a short story it, it, it has to pick what it's what it's <coughs> looking at um, so they choose like a rural backwater agricultural yeah. type type of scene to make first contact. Yeah, basically, like Astalan sort of gets his way at this point, and he's like, "We're not gonna land in the middle of a populated area where it might yeah. be provo provocative." He wants to kind of land somewhere out of the way and give them a chance to kind of reach out and, and yeah. that sort of thing. We should also point out that um, Astalan gets his way most of the time, and it always turns out bad. <laughs> Right, so he he is not he's not good. Yeah, at this. there's some real classic space, space marine pratfalls in this. <laughs> yeah. In this story. Um, um, so they they find this small, lightly populated thing, and they rock up to it, land their ships, 
and it's, it seems to be a super secret military site, <laughs> <laughs> which just immediately attacks them with like their bullshit soldiers yeah. and bullshit weaponry, which like they deal with real easy, but in the end they have to like retreat and leave from the yeah. from the planet, and um, yeah, so they they, they they first kill a lot of them, and then they get pushed back by like reinforcements and tanks and stuff appear, and they have to. They they bugger off and and this the uh, this military stratagem of um, uh, Astalan <laughs> combined like forces this planetary uh, these planetary bo- uh, governments that are at war with each other to come together in like their form of the UN yeah and um, they get in contact and again we have another of the conversations Astalan is like well they have a single voice now. We can talk with that. That's, you know, we have experience of that. Belath again is like, well, okay, you're in command, but we shouldn't be doing this. Is you know, like, this is a good chance to, like, destroy them all. Exactly, <laughs> destroy them all at once. Um, so they they spend a couple of days uh, arranging an audience with this UN type, type thing, and uh, they both go down unarmed, Belath and Astalan, and they teleport into an amphitheater. Again, it's led by a sort of old man, crone type figure, hunched over. He's got a cane. Of course he does. Um, I've got... Um, this seemed really weird to me. Um, some people are dressed in suits. <laughs> it's, it says that. It says there are like various headdresses and people in oddly cut suits. Right. So, <laughs> like, like the real UN... <laughs> So it's it's very strange. So Green, he's the old man. He comes and um, talks with the two uh, dark angels, and basically says, "What right does the emperor have to rule by Byzantis? They don't recognize uh, humanity. They sort of remember that other pockets of humanity exist out throughout the stars, but they don't have space travel. They're not that advanced." Um, they don't feel part of the same species as these sort of monsters. So then what happens? Uh, yeah, it's important to note that, uh, so this was, like you say, Aslan kind of got his way here, but Belath had insisted that they have like an open audio link to a bunch of his crew heavily armed and, you know, with itchy trigger fingers uh, to if anything went awry, they would jump in and... Well, we'll yeah. see. Um, uh, well, uh, one of the people on the amphitheater, like uh, tears, says, "We don't trust you." Which <laughs> Belath says, "Protect your commanders." <laughs> <laughs> it's like to me, hearken to me, protect me. And then, uh, and then they all just translate in and just fucking fuck w- the place up. Literally, like a, bu- a bunch of Terminators just appear and. Yeah instantly obliterate this uh, every person in this room yeah. um, uh, and then that leads to all out war uh, which is very very easy yeah um, Astalan is just like oh, I wish that didn't have to happen yeah. and Belath is well it did and I've radioed back to Caliban and told uh, the Primarch about your poor leadership yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's um, and so like I meant to care about that apparently. <laughs> was there a thing that like was the the subtext of the story that the lion was actually like 
Lionel Johnson was actually trying to like send these guys out to sort of make the Legion act in a different way and actually wants them to just go and destroy worlds and stuff or Well, I mean I guess there's the the he is he under orders from Lionel Johnson yeah. to like spy on the on the, the Terrans. Um and as you say, like the Calibanites are allowed to wear their former heraldry and stuff. So they're they're literally being allowed to mark themselves out as like better than or more Dark Angel than the original Terran ones. Yeah. And that seems like an obvious recipe for disaster that anybody could spot, especially these master tacticians that every Primarch is meant to be. Yeah, and Belath is very heavy-handed in this attitude. Like, he's he's like one of the archetypal um, hothead space marines uh, that we've encountered. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the other stories, he would have been probably from a completely different legion. Do you know what I mean? Like he would, yeah. In order to show like that they're very different, but clearly yeah. uh, there's the divide in in this legion in particular. I've written down that this is the least imaginative story we've had yet. Like it 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 read like pieces from lots of other bits yeah. uh, of books put together. I thought it was like reasonably well written for what it was. I thought like some of the descriptions were quite good, but yeah, like the, it it was a lot like thematically it was a lot like the earlier story from this book uh where um there was like where it was the space marines working with initially working with this population of a planet to fight yeah. the marauding uh aliens and then having to like then deciding they had to then turn against yeah. the humans they'd been allied with it was a similar sort of theme to that um, it was okay but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was okay what wasn't okay was The Last <laughs> Church by Graham McNeil um, or as I like to call it r slash atheism <laughs> this is an unbelievable story Like I, I do not know what to say about this I'm thinking we should spend 10 seconds on it or I'm thinking we should like have a spin-off podcast about <laughs> this story. I like a, a mini series. A mini series, uh, our own serial. What what was going on here, Jesus? Right. So when this started, I was like, I had actually heard about this story. I think like ages ago. I hadn't read this book before, but someone that I knew who had had mentioned like, there was a story where, like, about the last church on earth and the emperor and stuff. And like, I, um. When the story started, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, "This is interesting. Like, I'm quite keen yeah. to see what's going to like." Because it was going back to when there was. So this is literally the last church on on Terra we're meant to yeah, be at. A here. Christian church. Yeah, and there's a guy. So there's a there's the uh, what does it just call him? A priest, a uh, minister, uh, or some form. Yeah, the the person. It's like a one man church. He's called Uriah. Yeah, and he's on a, he's on a kind of hilltop, and he doesn't have many. Like parishioners, but there are generally some people that will turn up. Uh, so he's he's setting up for his like midnight yeah service. Um, he's lighting candles and he has uh, a book and a broken clock. Yes, the broken the clock, clock is like from his past. Yes, um, and then uh, so I oh so far so good. I was thinking this is quite totally atmospheric. Totally. Yeah. Um, 
interesting situation that we've not really seen. You know, it's like sort of before most of the stuff in yeah. the timeline, presumably. And, and th this is the last remnants of religion that the Emperor has wiped out, but it's still existing in this story, but it's on its last legs. This is literally the last church. Yeah. So what, ha like, you know, like what happens? The, 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 I'm excited to, to read this story, I'm yeah. thinking, at this point. Um, the doors of the church swing open. Um, this dark figure walks in. He's trailing his hand down the pews. So he's clearly like a big ham. Like, <laughs> you know, a big ham actor. Um, what, the line, I've got it written down. The man has a stern but not unkind face. A remarkably remarkable face. Really? Yes. Is it, is it not? Remarkably remarkable face. It's not remarkably unremarkable. I'm sure it must be remarkably remarkable that that could not have made it into that book, but... Uh, either way, it's not good. Yeah, uh, perhaps uh, I'll maybe check that on that one. But <laughs> I thought that sounded like Roald Dahl writing. You know, like a, a, a terrifical face. You know, like oh god, just. But that's that's the start of how things go. You know, that is the first line. Yeah. Downwards. <laughs> so they, um, so they they start chatting and. That's basically the rest of the story is them having a conversation uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, and the emperor is incredibly rude throughout the entirety well, of this. We're, we're not meant to know that he's the emperor at this point. <laughs> oh, uh, well, um, he asks his name. The, yeah. the, the priest is like, well, you've just walked into my church. Can I have your name? Yeah. Um, he says, my name is not important. But if you need a name, you can call me Revelation. I know, at which point I would be like, look, no, I literally can't call you Revelation. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've written down, what a twat. He's <laughs> um, like, my name is not important, but if you need a name, you can call me Revelation. Your name may not be important, Yeah. but give it to me anyway. And I was disappointed in the, in the priest in just going along with this yeah. and just like calling him Revel Revelation throughout the rest of the, the yeah. story. Well, but because he's Revelation... At this point, you're like, oh, this is the emperor. At least I yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I I kind of thought it was the emperor from the word yeah. go. Um, although I, I, at some points I was like, oh, maybe it won't be because <laughs> this guy's so fucking basic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you, as you read more, you're just like, no, it can't be, it can't <laughs> be. Um, and so the man is asking, like, they're kind of verbally sparring, yeah. and the priest is like, the, it's the... The emperor is really rude, just like asking him, like, why are you still here? Like, wh what keeps bringing you back here? You know what's gone on in the world. You're not like cut off or anything. Um, how do you feel that the world has abandoned its desire for gods and all forms of divinity? And you're just like, this is the man's church. You know, what? why are you being like a dick? Uh, and the... the Uriah handles it pretty well at, at this at the start. He gets frustrated over time, and and fair enough. Um, and the emperor says that like he's just seeking some answers, so that he has a uh, a memory of the last church and of the faith and stuff like that. And I thought that was like quite cool because the emperor is like keeping the memory for himself. He doesn't think anybody else should have the memory. Like he wants it all wiped out completely. Yeah, yeah. But like that's the kind of patriarchal kind of thing that this universe is built on is that 
all of this knowledge does exist, but it's not for yeah. the the likes of anybody else who can't handle it. Yeah. Um, so, for a large part of this... Uh, sorry, sorry, well, can I... Uh, th- there is a big bit at the start about how wonderful the fresco on the ceiling is. Um, and they both are like... How how great a piece of art! How you know how wondrous and godlike and and stuff. Um, and the emperor is like, wow, it is breathtaking. And Uriah says, you're a student of art. Um, I have studied a great many things in my life, said Revelation. Art is but one of them. <laughs> and you're like, I just asked if you were a student of art. Like, art is one of the things I've studied. You're like, well, yeah, okay. But I only asked you about art. <laughs> Just it's dropping like, that yeah, in it's just like I know, I, I know loads of stuff. <laughs> and you're like, okay, ask me anything. I know all sorts of stuff. I know science as well. No, but we're talking about art right now. The emperor is a real, yeah, like a loser. I mean, that, that's what's disappointing about this book, right? Because like, you feel like Graham McNeil is kind of by the you know the the masters of the Black Library. He's been given a real privilege here to actually be able to, like, you know, yeah. have the emperor uh, really put on show quite a bit more than really at any point in anything we've read so far. Yeah, you get to meet the emperor here, and so like that, you would think that you know that is not to be done lightly in this fiction. You know, it's obviously a very important thing. Yeah, and then so it's really disappointing that the 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 emperor is comes across like a an obnoxious like second year undergraduate who's just read the god delusion by richard dawkins <laughs> i i if if this was undergraduate level i would be like you need to up your game a bit i'm i i was thinking 13 or 14 year olds <laughs> yeah okay that's probably fair yeah because like it, it's it reads like the first time i like a young teenager has sort of come into their own and has realized that it's possible to like break away from what your past childhood was yeah, like yeah. if you went to church and like you were forced to by your parents or something yeah. um you you only realize that I don't have to do this yeah and then you start learning about the very very basic um sort of questions that yeah. atheism can throw up but they're not even they're not taken anywhere you see like that is is also disappointing in the sense that like what you've just highlighted about the emperor kind of even though he's trying to wipe out religion he kind of wanted to go there and like almost sort of appreciate yeah or or like on you know see this important moment in history i guess like and and like that suggested a subtlety that is not borne out by his arguments so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you so know. The, the first one that comes up is they're looking at this uh, ceiling and the, the painting and um, Uriah says, isn't this proof of the divine? And then the emperor goes, <laughs> uh, proof of the divine. L- listen, uh, painters needed to earn money. And so uh, they had patrons <laughs> and all the religious people have all the money. So it, it could be if, if atheists had money, then there could be atheist ceilings. And I was reading that just going, this is this is terrible. Like. <clears throat> this is so boring. At some point, sure, if you've grown up in a religious background and stuff, and you've only recently, like today, you have come to like questioning some of that. 
these might be worthwhile questions. Maybe. But we're talking about, suppose, a superhuman mind that has yeah. been alive for centuries. Um, and, yeah, no, like, like I say, it did, it did remind me of The God Delusion by Richard yeah. Dawkins, right? Because, like, I remember reading that a long time ago. And I know that Richard Dawkins has... Um, since gone mad, <laughs> done all kinds of arsehole things in yeah. in 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 recent years, uh, and I remember reading that and thinking, yeah, like there's a lot I agree with here, yeah, but it's it's felt like using a hammer to crack a nut, you know what I mean? Like it was just like I think we have that because like we don't like we don't have any of that sort of yeah, no, no, I know, I know, yeah, background, like, but it's just like it did feel really uh, that book was of its time, you know, yeah. I think important for its time. And uh, and Richard Dawkins has since just turned into like a, a gross old like has been, but like you know like it, it certainly did feel to me. But yeah, and that may have been the point of it to just lay out the sort of basics like one on one. Here's why, you know, here's why religion is here's all the bad things about religion, etc. But like it did feel really like not a subtle yeah uh, argument and just over selling the point to me as someone who was already like totally quite happy to not be religious <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know like um but uh but that, it is yeah it is slightly different for us because like uh, being atheist i suppose or non-religious um has been the easiest thing in the world for us yeah, so, like, yeah. So, yeah. but anyway so they they spar over this for a little bit and then they go oh let's let's you know let's talk and share uh some time together so they go and have a glass of wine <laughs> um, the, the emperor goes this is very good wine it's old <laughs> you're such a fucking uh, Uriah says you have a fine appreciation of wine revelation and he goes no he just said it was old he just <laughs> see Uriah I found quite annoying as well to be oh, honest yeah. no yeah exactly <laughs> like the the level of his pro-religious arguments are exactly as <laughs> yeah. as advanced as the atheist ones. So yeah. at least it's a kind of a fair <laughs> battle of inadequate minds. <laughs> and they, they get onto the whiskey pretty quick, do they not? Like... Yeah, that's great. There's a bit of whiskey. Um, and um, y- Uriah teaches the emperor how to drink whiskey. Do you remember <laughs> oh, yeah. that? Oh, God. This was so <laughs> in fitting with the whole, like... Um, they're just both of them being total bores. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uriah's like, no, 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 don't gulp it down. The emperor's <laughs> like, I just want to fucking get drunk. <laughs> and, and Uriah's like, no, let it, like, let it wash over your tongue. And you're like, oh, God, both of these people. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, anyway, the, the, the church is called um, the Church of the Lightning Stone. Yeah. And he, the churchman Uriah takes the emperor to see why it's called the Lightning Stone. And there's like this story about how um, it was struck by lightning and this piece of rock came off it. And there's this, it's all sort of wrapped up in the voice of God coming. And, and, and it's a traditional sort of um, Christian appearance of the divine. And uh, Revelation puts his hand on it and like, somehow analyzes it for its like mineral content and stuff like that and it's it's complete sort of full-on scientific verse versus crazy religious tale and again it's really terrible and uriah at this point gets upset because he feels that revelation is trying to destroy his faith which he is 
<laughs> like in the most literal sense. In the most in the most uh, literal sense, and the emperor is just being like really rude. Um, and yeah, so then it, we sort of get into a bit about Uriah's backstory. Yeah, which is that he had he used to be, or basically he was from a sort of rich family or something, and he had a kind of misspent youth of like traveling around with a sort of he had a sort of like private army with him or yeah, something yeah and he like he got at one point he got wasted and started giving shit to a bunch of proto space marines <laughs> yeah. um that was good <laughs> i was sort of sent you know sent with a flea in his ear away from that yeah and then he he later became a soldier uh in a war he sort of whipped up he was sort of responsible he was fighting in it but he was also sort of responsible for whipping up this like um, anti or like like a pro-religious war like he saw the the spread of this like um, humanistic or like you know atheistic uh, worldview happening and he sort of rebelled against that and caused these other but was was that that war was more but was that was that not just a sort of more general political thing of the emperor was taking everywhere over and this I can't remember really but and this like yeah. region wanted to stay independent it may have been religious motivation behind it but that basically they started a kind of revolution against the emperor's conquest yeah. of the planet and they seemed to, and it was all quite quite joyous for a while and like sense of freedom in the city wherever this was yeah based and then they all got a a raid for battle, uh, on in some place that they referred to quite a bit as the site of this terrible battle. Yeah, um, in where, France. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of um, a lot of that chat about slightly altered names. Yeah. of geographical areas, and uh, so they went there and had a battle. The emperor's troops turned up and like absolutely obliterated. Uh, yeah, and, and this is the only bit of good writing in it because. Um, when he describes like his fear and the level of uh, like terror and the brutalization that like I think that he did use the term like brutalization, it it re you really feel that they were like victims of something and not just like another yeah. row of people to be turned into like me. Yeah, and and uh, and Uriah was like, as far as we can tell, the only person that survived their side in that and he had that's when he really became wanted to dedicate his life to religion because he saw the divine as he puts it I think yeah. uh, a figure approaching him um, sort of after in the aftermath of the battle who was like resplendent and do you remember? Golden yeah and yeah a voice from God that says uh, what are you doing with your life like um, you need to serve me yeah. So he goes back to his family lands where he finds that his family have been destroyed, basically, but finds the church and has been there ever since, yeah. tending to that and serving God in that way. And he's talking about this uh, to sort of show uh, revelation that this is, you know, he has seen the he's, divine. Yeah, exactly. He says it's um, it's very easy to believe when you've seen the literal. And then, again, the really shitty conversation in that the emperor says... Yeah, oh, look, you were a victim. You were hurt. You were all like he, he was um, bleeding badly. What you saw was just like a abnormality because of a brain injury. And again, you were just like, oh, this is that conversation against like 
uh, is a, a divine revelation and is it a hallucination right. yeah. and stuff. But the Cathars are mentioned here, Will. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Albigensian Crusade, I think yeah. Bezier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ba- yeah. Battle in Bezier is mentioned. And uh, the Cathars, um, I, nobody else should know this, but the Cathars really got us through our undergraduate degrees. <laughs> well, uh, the Bogomils more uh, specific. <laughs> well, the Bogomil, other dualistic sects based <laughs> off of the Cathar heresy. but. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I forgot about this until you just mentioned it. Yeah, but yeah, it talks about because the, there's a line that's sort of it may be apocryphal, but there's a line that's quoted here about um, in that sort. So the Albigensian Crusade was um, crusade within France, like from generally the north of France into the south of yeah. France, like Carcassonne and around there. And they um, so there was a this slaughter that uh, that happened as part of that. And there's a line from it where like. Uh, someone's like one of the the knights in the crusade is apparently like I just kill everyone God will know his own like yeah. and and you know maybe apocryphal but that's like uh, a sort of famous line connected to that and that's quoted here um, yeah that's uh, I, for, I forgot about that yeah and uh, then then the emperor really gets up on his soapbox and starts talking some half bitten nonsense that. Um, as sort of boundaries break down and people move and people intermingle with each other, only religion can perpetuate ongoing struggles. Yeah, and that's obviously not that's true. Just like that's uh, like self. Like we can look with our own eyes and like say that's not true. Twentieth century, dude. You yeah. Know, like, um, uh, it just you you said before we um we started that the the emperor's basic, <laughs> <laughs> and it really is. It's God, he, oh yeah, quote time. There's a flaw in your logic, Uriah. Oh, <laughs> God, this is like Reddit. Um, anyway, they burned down the church. <laughs> and Uriah is a, like decides he wants to go down with it. Uh, yeah, the emperor reveals himself as yeah. uh, this golden figure. And... Uh, the Uriah has the normal kind of uh, reaction and is like blown away with how beautiful he is and starts crying and they walk out together. They burn the church down. Um, and then there's another painful discussion about crusading and about it being wrong. And the em- emperor says, the difference between me and those other crusaders is but the difference is I know I'm right. <laughs> he literally says it. He says it out loud. Um, the Uriah predicts that uh, the the people might come to see the emperor as God. Um, oh, we forgot the important. Oh yeah, go ahead. End into the story. So the the vision that Uriah had seen was in fact the emperor. Yeah. On that battlefield, so it's like the thing he was worshiping the whole time was the emperor. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of the, the twist, as such as it is at the end of the story. Yeah, and the. the <laughs> The story ends, the clock chiming, um, and I was like, what the fucking point is of this? Is that that clock was mentioned at the start only so that it could chime at the end. I know, I, I'd kind of forgotten about it. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck point, what does this, why did the story end with was, a clock? Because it was something like the clock was going to chime at the... At the end of the world, at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. What does that do for the story other than give it this... Ultra melodramatic nonsense. 
this was one of the worst things I've ever read in my entire life. This is <laughs> this is Dan Brown level of writing. Um, I was angry reading it. Um, what do you think? Yeah, like it's funny though. <laughs> yeah, it was entertaining in a sense, but also like at times too excruciating to even be enjoyable on that level. Like, yeah. Uh, but it's a shame because, you know, you hope that when the emperor appears later he's done better than yeah. he's done here um, because you know he is like at the centre of this whole story and it should and, and you know really mystified through the way he's kind of little bits about him are revealed yeah and then he, and you just have this whole how could anybody follow somebody who's like these aren't even arguments these are like the beginning points of arguments that he never it's yeah it's yeah. terrible absolutely terrible so the last story of this collection is after Deshaya, yeah, like uh, by yeah. Matthew Farrer, uh, another new name yep. for us. Um, this is about the World Eaters, yeah. or as they are in this, the Warhounds. This yeah. is before they are called the World Eaters. Yeah. Um, it starts off on a ship, um, and the captains of the Warhounds are sort of nervously jostling with each other and are like, "We don't have to go in there." <laughs> We don't have to go into this room. And Karn, who we've met before, um, he says, no, I will go in there. Somebody needs to go and meet him. Don't know who yet. So he goes down in and sees the bodies of these other people who went in before him, like other legionaries, and they've all been killed. They've all been ripped to pieces. And it's because Angron is in there. The angry Primarch. Yeah. And um, they spar verbally again. This is all done in conversation. Yeah. Although very often Angron just punches him really hard or slams him to the ground or like he'll be talking for a while then he'll sort of smash Oof. him in the face. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it is funny for that because <laughs> it's sort of used as kind of punctuation. You know, like <laughs> we've had enough talking. Bam! And yeah. uh, it's very good. I found this whole situation very comical. Like, just had very high comic potential. The fact that Angron is like, there is supposed to be their primarch. So that's what they're they're trying to tell him. Yeah. Like, we are on your side. We don't want to fight you. He's like, you fucking losers are coming in here and not, not fighting even warriors. me. And like, and he's he's literally obliterating the the upper echelons of his. <laughs> Like yeah. legion yeah. that he's supposed to be taking over. Well, he doesn't really know that yet. But like, it was just, it was, it was, it was classic Angron. You could uh, have like a some slide whistle effects and stuff on this <laughs> one, and like a, a tuba in the background going. <laughs> but like, I think we have just before discussed. We'd like to know how Angron, how the world eaters and Angron sort of originated. And I, I feel like this didn't really disappoint. In <laughs> no, I mean this was like really short I mean this is not really a short story almost like it was so short I thought um, and yeah Angron at times during this fight he's like ultra angry at other times he's like kind of wistful and sad because his brothers and sisters are gone Yeah, and it turns out that he and his brothers and sisters were slaves to this um, race of sort of gamblers uh, and uh, kind of well, slave masters that made 
their slaves fight for them and uh, and they bet and wagered on them and stuff. They're called the Far Riders, is that right? The so High Riders. High Riders, yeah. Um, and Angron has a thing called the Butcher's Nails implanted in his brain, which is like causing him to be angry, which is, you know, fair enough to the man. Uh, but also they're a source of his like ongoing warrior mental strength and stuff like that. Um, and Karn basically lays it out for him that they're not going to fight him because they are to be led by him and whatever Angron wants his legion to be, they will change in order to you know satisfy that, yeah. basically. Um, and that's it, really. I mean, it goes on like that. And um, the Emperor is mentioned in that he sort of saves... Angron from the final death that befell his brothers and sisters, but we don't really know what that was. But Angron is like angry at the Emperor and unhappy because they had all pledged themselves to be to die together. Yeah. And uh, Angron couldn't fulfill that pledge. I thought this like it was quite good in this I thought like it did a quite good job of laying the seed of why Angron would both like join with the Emperor and become, you know, a Primarch of a Legion, but at the same time the seed of why he would ultimately, you know, quite happily... Harbour uh, resentment against him? Yeah, because he, he basically... Without it being too heavy-handed? No, no, I, I'm like, because he, he basically says, oh, he's, he, he criticises the Emperor for, like, being someone that just, like, stands back and sends other people into battle, basically. Yeah. And he, um... And he's eventually won round by, like... Uh, Karn sort of tells a story of starts starts um, telling some like war stories basically yeah. and, and Angron's like he's just like mm, good battle tactics you know he, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. he gets into yeah. the sort of uh, that sort of chat so. whenever they can like share some sort of uh, bond he's like and yeah maybe he doesn't feel that to the Emperor because the only thing he knows is war and like physical battles and stuff like that. But yeah, you're right. It is there is a a, a sort of subtlety a, 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 in a in a sort of completely unsubtle setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the that's what these stories should sort of yeah. seed the way. I think. As far as you need the subtlety to be in this series, it, yeah. it's, it's done here. Like, um, and yeah, it's, it's good. And so eventually, he's won round by. Karn and he's like, okay, I respect that you're warriors, and and he sort of agrees that he will be the Primarch, and and he goes up and meets the rest of the 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 captains who are hiding from him. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, they shit. are they are all like shit. And he, uh, someone says like, um, you and your old brothers and sisters were the eater of cities, something like something that, like right. that. but. Together, we as your sons will be the eater of worlds. Yeah. And he goes, well, that's ding, you know, light bulb above his head moment. He goes, uh, well, that's what we'll be then. We are the world eaters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, a pretty good story. Very short. Did the job. Did the job. Yeah. It's over now. It's over. <laughs> um, I didn't like many of those short stories. I yeah. think I'm, I'm wondering if I'm coming around to the view that uh, short stories are actually much harder to write than because yeah. you you've got such like such less space and that sort of magnifies any any shit decisions that you've made. I still think like there's 
good potential for short stories in this setting. And some of them did fulfil that to some extent. But I think a point you made rings true is like some of them just felt like sections of yeah. bigger stories rather than like nicely self-contained yeah um satisfying things in their own right um uh so yeah i don't know like it's a bit of, it's a it's a mixed bag it's a mixed bag but i'm uh, i i will look forward to the next short story collection just because of the potential yeah uh in there i mean i think we should like probably bring back up what you raised about there being like an overarching theme yeah uh, to it, did you think that played out across the? I think there's. I think I think the theme was heresy, and <laughs> stories, l- l- little tales, sto- little short shorter stories of heresy. Um, nothing beyond that. I, I'm. Did you sort of? Well, no. You you just. I think before you said that the the thing that at least in one of the sort of the groupings that we did, you were like, um, saying that the theme was about like this. The, what happens when uh, yeah, human the, societies are encountered by the yeah and uh, in particular the thing is like the the story where the custodies teleported into their the the was it in Brazil I think it was high Brazil high Brazil <laughs> yeah that's it that was that's basically exactly what happened when the dark angels angels teleported down to the the model UN in this story uh, and the same thing happened like almost exactly the same thing happened and uh, they they felt the need to just slaughter everyone there it, it just seemed that um, a missed opportunity I think in exploring that more teleporting did seem to be a thing that cropped up more here than it has <laughs> it, re- it really is a MacGuffin like whenever you need um, something to happen you can teleport maybe that's like the short story format has forced the use of more teleport <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting uh but i don't know about how did you spot anything that i haven't uh, no, in th- amongst that sort of i think that general theme you can find in all the stories you know it's about they're all in different ways about something to do with it's all about contacts with human uh civilizations of some sort yeah. and and the emperor or the imperium so like even the Angoran one's kind of about that because it's about what happened when yeah. the emperor's forces came to his world um, the Dark Angels one obviously is about that the the Last Church one obviously is, is well it's kind of about that but on earth in terms of yeah. the emperor I mean it, it, could we say that it's about the complete incompetence of the Astartes and the Primarchs and the Emperor, like honestly, and that's kind of the whole series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. But the, this is just highlighting that the the super powerful nature of these things, but without any anything either intellectually or culturally or <laughs> uh, governmentally to like back it up in any way. <laughs> I think they should. What would be a good short story is like some like. Some of one of like the intellectuals of the Imperium, like some high up official, or like <laughs> so, or yeah, or or a remembrancer, like yeah. somehow gets a chance to meet the Emperor, and they're like, "Oh my God, you know, like I can't believe or listen to the Emperor give a oration about something or whatever, yeah. right?" And then, like they get into it, and they're totally hyped up, and they're like, "This is going to be the most amazing thing ever." They get in, and he he just talks at the level that he talks in the last church. And yeah, the like oh my. God, <laughs> we're worshiping this guy. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, he's invited into like the the emperor's chamber and he finds uh, the emperor with like three monitors in front of him, all with like different subreddits on it and on <laughs> different message boards and stuff. And he's just like angrily thumping his keyboard, just going, God does not exist. <laughs> but that, I mean, in effect, Uriah, when he was like, when he had uh, the emperor reveal himself, he was like in love with him again. Yeah. But then immediately he did sort of reject him yeah. like uh, and yeah. choose to die with his church rather than um, go with the emperor. And that must have made the emperor feel pretty silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I would love... To, I mean, that was sort of in the context of his religious beliefs and I would love to see someone just like having an intellectual crisis when like yeah because like, they are a smart person and they are properly intellectual yeah and they just assume the emperor is going to be like this mind beyond beyond all minds yeah exactly and <laughs> they just go back and go oh my god you met him so how, how was it it's like well uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and like as they talk more and like have a drink like a like share a bottle of wine and then they're silent for a bit and just go you know what Emperor's a dick. <laughs> like, like it's taken him a while to actually yeah. even be able to face it's that. Face it. You're just like, yeah, he's he's an idiot. Right? <laughs> I was talking with him, and he he doesn't get it. Like he doesn't understand anything. <laughs> and just yeah, that would be something. Maybe we maybe we should write that one. Um, that's really funny, but um, somehow, uh, I feel a bit revived. Ready for the next yeah, full story. Me too. Um, something about the Dark Angels. Yeah, I think it's called Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels. Yeah. Do you know who that's, that's by? by Mike Lee, who wrote, I think, the story that we liked the best in this. That's right, yeah. Uh, so. so that sounds good. Okay. Yeah. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, please uh, feel free to share the podcast with friends and family and everyone else. Uh, get in contact with us at horseheretics at gmail.com uh, until the next book uh, see you later see ya